So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets. Welcome back to the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. This is your co-host, Tom Seco, and co-founder of Florida Veterinary Advisors. We are a national planning firm that wants to make finances simple so you can spend time doing other things. And I have a very awesome guest on our show today. I've been trying to flag him down for quite some time, and I'm really excited to talk with him and share with you some just interesting thoughts and hopefully be able to provide some different perspectives or some things that can resonate with you at the end of the day from this conversation. And before we jump in, if you're ever looking for other resources or content or race uh, courses, uh, you're looking for other videos to just dive down further into around planning, we have a lot of other great resources available, especially our five-part foundational series that we created where it walks through our foundational planning process on, hey, what are things that you shoot from how you're protecting yourself, managing your savings and paying debt to building up assets and investing. So if you're really wanting to learn more beyond that, it's always a great resource to go look at. Uh, and the person that, so this really shift over today of who we're talking with, uh, he's gone through quite an incredible journey and I want him to be able to share a little bit more of it as well. Uh, but he's the pre- previous chief economist of AVMA. Uh, he's the most recent president of the veterinary management group. Uh, doing some really big things. And I'm really glad to have you here, Matt Saloy. Yeah, awesome. Uh, really happy to be here. I'm glad we could make this work. And thanks for the patience in getting to this point, Tom. Oh, of course. I, I've been told that all that we have is we need we need to have patience. Otherwise, <laughs> it's never about the results either. It's about the journey. So we're finally here. Uh, absolutely. 100%. Awesome. I, I'm sure a great amount of people know you either through the AVMA have heard about you but I would really be intrigued if you could just share with some people about your just backstory real fast of where you were and what you're up to today. Yeah, no, uh, thanks. Appreciate the opportunity to, to share. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of, I don't know, we all share experiences, I think. So, you know, everyone's got a unique story and yet they're all about uh, taking advantage of opportunities, getting through obstacles and, and learning something along the way along with a handful of failures, right? I think we can all, <laughs> we can all share in that. Uh, yeah, I use three words to describe myself, uh, husband, father, and economist. And I, the, the order is important because it says everything. Um, I have four kids, uh, three cats, and, and one wife. And that's plenty enough to, to keep, <laughs> keep me busy. Uh, I started my career in, in academia as, a, as an academic economist. Uh, quickly learned that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and, and started to uh, work in industry in and out of a lot of different areas. And I think probably the most relevant starting point for our conversation is when I began working for Alanka Animal Health back in 2012, 2013 or, or so, uh, which really began my, my deepest uh, interaction uh, in animal health and veterinary medicine. Before that, a lot of the work I did was uh, on food and farm policy issues. My, my background's in applied and agricultural economics. So interfaced with a lot of topics that isn't directly in animal health, but certainly related around food safety, environmental sustainability, animal production issues. And so just a, yeah, just a quick version of my story there. 
that's very cool. And it's awesome that you discovered that academia was not the path you wanted to go and you shifted because sometimes we do get stuck doing something in the very beginning and then we never get out of it. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. I've always been very intrigued too. something just a fun fact that I've always seen is you always provide your dad jokes or yeah. either some instance or another. I always, I always love your little, you know, like little witty things that you're saying all the time. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's just me being silly, which, you know, I'm glad it brings a few chuckles to some people, probably a lot more groans than anything else. But for me, it's just an outlet to be a little silly. And I, I kind of need that from time to time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're, we're always too serious with ourselves and, you know, life is so short. So I'm, I'm always practicing and trying to do better myself of how do I just have enjoy life a little bit more and how do I go about doing things to where I'm not so focused on what the result is and just being in the moment more. And it seems like that's what you do with the jokes. I mean, even though they're corny and silly, it's, it makes people laugh and smile. That's all that matters, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's almost like an anti-seriousness, you know, like, uh, you know, rally against the seriousness that has become our everyday lives. I think, you know, certainly the last three years or plus since, since COVID, I think everything's become uh, a little, just a little bit more serious, whether we're talking about the pandemic itself, which we're largely in and out of, although it's still out there, but all these other issues that we've come, come through around global strain, the economy, a lot of the social issues that continue to polarize us. Look, there's, there's so much to be serious about that. I think sometimes we just have to take a step back and say, you know what, I'm not going to be serious right now. Uh, and it's a good thing. <laughs> Uh, it, I think when you have kids too, it helps a lot. I had a, I have a two-year-old daughter now and it's definitely caught, helped me be able to, to lighten up a bit more, which I, I could imagine being a dad as well has helped you do that too. Yeah, it is. It's, it's almost like the opposite problem as a parent. It's like, no, I need you to take me more seriously. Like, you know, it work is serious, right? You need some of that, that anti-seriousness, but you know, with the kids, it's like, I just threatened you and yet you're still not doing what I want you to do. Like, what is it going to take? This isn't a joke. I'm serious here, but uh, it's all part of the fun as a parent. I love it. That's, that's really awesome. Well, for the, for the, the sake of our conversation too, because I, I really would like to dive into, uh, because we've all been through a journey in our lives and we're all still going through a journey of our lives. And you've reached another chapter when of course you took over of leading a pretty reputable organization that's out there. And I'm curious that over time, uh, there's certain decisions that you've made and experiences that you've had where they maybe were like a setback at the time and you had an opportunity to then learn from it and grow from it. And I'd be really curious if there's something, one or two things that you can share with people who are listening right now, like, hey, what was something that you did that now turned into like a leaping stone and how you used it to move forward? Yeah. Oh gosh. There's, there's a lot we could, we could talk about there, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Pick the one uh, that grabs the, gravitates to the top of your head, you know? Yeah. Well, and I wish I could say it, it, it was all part of a well-crafted plan, right. That began in the womb before, you know, but no, there's so much that has been, I would attribute to serendipity, right. And, mm. and, and understanding the opportunities as they're presented in front of you and, and, and being bold enough to, to, to go for it at times, you know, as you know, with there's a balance and a trade-off between gain and risk, right? Whether you're talking about finance or anything. And so um, trying to understand when to be risky and when to be a little bit more conservative, it's always a, a challenge when you're a working parent, you know, but uh, I, I think I've, I've been very fortunate to uh, always through 
every every opportunity, every every stage of my career to be surrounded by really good people. And I think that's been the thing that I, I gravitate to and, and anchor myself to most because there's so much opportunity to share experiences and learning. And when you have others who are experts in different things, and you know, my point of view is know a whole lot more than I do, um, it's really rewarding to uh, collaborate, learn, grow, um, and just understand the world around you a little bit better. And thankfully, that's just if there's been a story of my my career, or my life, it's 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 that around this, this constant journey of learning, looking at the the experiences and the knowledge of others and, and, and asking, what can I learn from you? And I like to think along the way, I maybe share some wisdom here or there. I don't know. Uh, but uh, but definitely. And I think that's what excites me most about being at VMG, you know, the or, the organization that you mentioned incredible reputation, no doubt, in veterinary medicine. Um, and I think that reputation really is seated in a culture of collaboration and shared learning amongst its members who come together in a small group and environment twice a year. And because of the trust they have in these small groups, share so much about their their, their successes, their failures, and really create a community and a, and a strong sense of belonging where lifelong friendships are formed in this as a result of, of their participation in this, in this community. And so it's really, it's amazing to be a part of that. It's an incredible honor to be a part of it. And I think now more than ever, the, the need for that, for community, for belonging, for shared learning is just, it's here now more than ever. And so um, that's what excites me. Absolutely. I love it. The, the over time, of course, I would agree that learning from others and having really good connections that you have around you can help provide the guidance. And always, I always like the, to think about always trying to be not the smartest person in the room. I'm trying to always find people that are smarter than me because it's the best way you can learn. Otherwise, yeah. if you're the smartest person, then it's, it's at times it's very hard to learn new things based off of where you're trying to go. And if I, I love the idea that by putting yourself in that position, you're constantly being able to stretch yourself. You're always being able to absorb new things and being part of your history, being in academia and now become being an economist and everything else. It, it's very fitting because you being in the role that you are with the organization, the way that its values are, it aligns very well. Yeah. And I, I would imagine at some point in your future, in your past, there was a time where there were certain like a decision that you did make where you're like, Oh my gosh, why did I do that? And that I learned from it. Is there anything that you right off the bat you think of that? <laughs> oh yeah. Like the, the mistakes or the, the learning lessons, right? I mean, yeah. there's a encyclopedia to, to choose from, you know, it, but it's funny, like what you say around, you know, not wanting to be the smartest person in the room and looking for the others who are, and that's a great, there's a great benefit to that. I, I think my worst mistakes honestly have been when I've tried to be too smart, right. Or just, be smarter than what I am. You know, I can think of a lot of experiences there, you know, one early in my career, shifting outside of, you know, academia into industry. There was this role working for the state of Florida where I was presenting to a governor appointed board um, in agriculture. And I was giving an industry overview and I was just tickled, tickled with myself about all the data that I was presenting. And I just thought it was the, the, the greatest presentation ever and 
I gave this presentation and it was like crickets in the room. And thankfully I was connected with one of those board members and he came to me afterwards and he said, Matt, can I talk to you? I said, absolutely. I thought he wanted to tell me you did a, you did such a great job. That was the most amazing industry over you. He's like, that was the worst presentation ever. (laughs) But He was honest and candid with me. He's like, there was a lot of data. There was a lot of numbers, but you didn't say anything. You, you, and for us, we need you to collapse the complex into the succinct and tell us what all of this means. Don't leave it for us to understand the story. You tell us the story and what then, more importantly, we need to do with that. And that I, I, have, I go back to that experience often because it was really life-changing for me, uh, a number of realizations. But the most important one being um, people don't want data. They, they do want insights. And, and more than that, they want prescriptions. They want recommendations. What am I right. supposed to do? Tell me what action I'm supposed to take. People crave the, the cookbook because it tells them exactly step by step what they need to, to do to reach the output or reach success there. So I often lean on that whenever I'm out there giving presentations or thinking through an issue and have an audience in front of me. When the feedback was given at the time too, were you like, did you take it a little bit personal or are you? Oh yeah, no, I was crushed. It wasn't like instantaneous. Like, (laughs) oh, there's this lip and I'm forever changed. No, I'm sure I wept or something uh, for a few hours or a few days. (laughs) Uh, And it wasn't like that that change happened overnight. You know, it's not like it clicked. It's like, Oh great. Now I'm going to tell a story and be a great storyteller. That in itself is, is a journey here. Uh, You know, but as an economist and someone who spent a large part of his early career, so dedicated to understanding analytics and numbers and, and all of that, it was a, a journey to understand that whenever you're in a role and most often every role has this where you, you are in a position where you're trying to not just inform, but you're trying to persuade, or at least influence Mm -hmm. certain actions or choices. And and the data ultimately never does that. Never does. You need the data. You know, it's a necessary condition to get to that point, but it's not sufficient in the sense of people aren't connected to numbers. They're not connected to data. You, You need it to open the door, but what gets individuals through that door is the emotional bond that they have to the story that weaves the, the data and the insights to the ultimate recommendation or, or decision that you're trying to lead people to. Um, and, and that was hard again for me initially, but now I, I get it. And, and it's another wisdom um, that continues to guide me to this day. It's something very valid to learn because I will say criticism is one of the hardest things that we can all take at the end of the day. And people are, some people are very open to it. Some people are not. We all usually want to make sure we are doing the absolute best that we can at all times. And it's interesting that when you look at all the information and being an economist, it's very easy to just throw a bunch of numbers up on a board and like, hey, just look at it. And and here's all the stuff that I've got here and just taking the numbers. However, people aren't thinking the same way that you think and aren't able to compute things the way that you compute them and being able to translate that information for people to really understand it. It's very valid because, hey, here we are presenting things that people might absorb it and look at it, but they might not get out of the meat and potatoes of it, like what you really want them to get from what you were just literally saying. It's not going to go to the most part. So it's, we want them to get that. And I think it's it, it must have been a very, uh, very good learning experience at that time for you. Yes, one amongst many in the journey. <laughs> 
when when you think about your your life because of course you measure and and weigh a lot of different things i would imagine the risk versus what's not risky and there's probably something you've done in your life where you're hey i i there's a risk to it i was a little uncertain about it but then i took that leap and it's turned out to be really good for you what what is something that you've done in the past like with regards to that yeah oh goodness again a few um certainly we can talk about personal issues like the journey of parenting and taking the leap there <laughs> right uh but uh you know i'd say you know an early one was you know coming out of graduate school as a newly minted phd and you know at that point in time really i was i was just bent on getting a you know a faculty position a full-time assistant professorship somewhere um as i had been trained to do Turns out 2008 wasn't a great year to graduate and be in the job market, right? Uh, and, uh, all sorts of places were hurting and universities were, were no exception. So it was a really competitive job market as a, you know, from a, a job seeker's perspective. Um, and didn't get a lot of offerings, actually. It was, it was really hard. And not only was I competing with all the other new grads, but I was competing with a lot of seasoned academics who were either facing layoffs and or, or changing occupations and careers and universities there. So it was tough. I ended up interviewing for a position at the University of Reading in the UK. Um, and it wasn't even for an assistant professor, it was for a, a postdoc, a research fellow. And I almost felt like while it was exciting, it was abroad, that that part hadn't directly appealed to me in the sense that that wasn't what I was looking to do, but then also feeling like, oh, it's not even an assistant professorship. It's a, it's a postdoc, like blah. Who wants that, right? And um, it came with an interesting caveat. Talk about risks. Uh, normally, they don't interview U.S. candidates. Um, and typically, in the interview process, in academia anyway, those, those, uh, the, those interview trips, the, the employer bears the cost. So they fly you out. They keep you there. They, they extensively interview you for two days. It's a very intensive process. Um, and so they, they did this under the condition that if I accepted the position, they would reimburse all the costs of, of the interview, including the flight to the UK, the hotel expenses and all of that. But if they offered me the position and I said no, I would have to cover those expenses myself. And so it was an interesting little gamble there. But anyway, did it. It worked out. Um, I, I took that role, brought my, my, new, my new wife at the time. We got married that year all in the same three months moved to, to England. It was a, it was a whirlwind um, and ended up staying there, not for one year, but, but for about four and a half or so. And it was just a, it was a really rewarding experience. And as it turned out that that position as a postdoc really gave me a lot more time to incubate as a researcher um, and got some really wonderful mentorship um, as well, which I think gave more investment in me so that I could create more for myself as a person, as a researcher, as a, as an academic, as an economist, rather than, you know, getting that assistant professorship, being cut loose and then fending for yourself, you know, automatically in that publisher perish kind of mindset. And so again, at the time it was feeling like I took a step down or taking a step back or slowing down the career when in actuality I was really cultivating something bigger and something better for myself and for my family. Um, and, and I wouldn't change that decision in the world today. Had I been as ignorant then, you know, I would have done something differently, but um, it really turned out to be a wonderful experience. It gave my wife and I an opportunity as well to live abroad, which is wonderful. We had our first child there, which was a great experience and still maintain wow. 
connections with with friends and and colleagues that um, we built those relationships during that time. That's really cool. It makes me think a lot about even within VetMed because there's a lot of people that will jump immediately into business ownership or try to take on different roles and they don't have that incubator period that they're going through to learn. And especially with veterinary medicine, there is not a lot of focus or there is more focus today around providing certain education. And there's organizations like the Veterinary Business Management Association created through the school to provide some education. However, from an overall, like how do I become an effective business owner and how do I go about running a veterinary practice properly? And those things, they're, they're not something that you literally can just read in a book. Sometimes right. you got to have the experience, the one-on-one. And uh, it's it's very valid what you're what you're saying here, because there are a lot of people that will hesitate from doing things or they will take an immediate jump into something and of course, the risk for them, I always like to ask the question, like, are you a business owner or are you not a business owner? Like, and that's something I think you would know truly as a person at the end of the day. Uh, and sometimes you can develop more into one yeah. over time, but some people do it because they thought it was a good idea. <laughs> However, it probably wasn't the best of direction for their course over time. Uh, but it's, I no, it's really cool. I'm surprised you don't have a British accent too, being there for four and a half years. <laughs> no, neither does my son. He was too young when we moved away, but it is a very charming accent. That's for sure. I love it. To put a little pretty bow on the end of all of this, something completely random from everything else that we've talked about. I want to ask you just a, a silly question. I'm really curious what you're going to, how you're going to respond to this. Oh boy. Let's say that you're trapped on an Island. Yeah. And you had a choice pretty much of eating anything, but it was only one food. It doesn't have to be particular like rice or beans or anything else. It could be pizza. It could be anything. You're stuck on an island. You only have one choice of food for the rest of your life. What would it be? Oh, gosh. Give, get, just give me some meat, some some fried chicken, some grilled steak. <laughs> I just need the, the, need the protein. Um, I, what do you do, steak or chicken? Which one? Oh, gosh. Well, I guess if I want to live longer, I guess I'll go with the chicken. Just, you know, to, to watch out for that <laughs> cholesterol and, and blood pressure. And chicken so very uh, flexible. You can do anything with it. But, uh, yeah, I would go there. Uh, absolutely. I probably would be malnourished, absent other micronutrients that I would need. But, uh <laughs> Well, if you, if you eat, if you eat the beef, I mean, there's someone in my office that um, he's literally been on a meat diet for like four years. That's all he eats. But he eats this. Yeah. Yeah. You eat like a certain percentage, like a certain fat to, to, to meat. So you're still getting certain nutrients, but there's like the meat carries. I, I have no, I wouldn't do it personally. I don't know. But... Yeah. I, I love <laughs> potatoes too, you know, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew, fry them, bake them. Like, again, it's that versatility and they're just oh so good no matter what. And you could just throw anything on them and it just, it, it absorbs that that flavor. So uh, there, I, I awesome. can't pick one. I had to throw two out there. That's okay. We'll give you two items. I, I really have enjoyed this conversation with you and I really appreciate you carving out some time to talk with me. Yeah, thanks, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you and look forward to our future interactions. Yeah, me too. Hey, Smarter Vets, I hope that you found something intriguing from this discussion. Maybe there's an aha moment that you got, or there's something you're like, wow, I'm doing something that I should be trying to break free from or break out of, or a direction that you've been thinking about where hopefully it's giving you a little bit more of an understanding of what you should do in this circumstance. Just something to think more about. Uh, and if you're finding our show to be helpful, you're finding it to be intriguing, best thing you can do is help spread the word. Uh, share it with one of your friends, a couple of your friends. Take this one, text it to a friend and say, hey, like, listen to the Smart About podcast. 
and help us spread the word to all the great content that we're providing. Uh, for now, this is Tom Seco wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race-approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. CJ Burnett and Tom Seco are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. CJ Burnett's and Tom Seco's California licenses are 0K79676 and 0K80141, respectively. Security products and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, a registered broker-dealer, investment advisor, member of FINRA and the SIPC, and a wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. Florida Veneer Advisors is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. This podcast is for information purpose only. Only guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Florida Veterinary Advisors, and opinions stated are their own. This material is intended for general use. By providing the content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. The individuals associated with Florida Veterinary Advisors do not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to veterinary professionals. Florida Veterinary Advisors is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. 2023159948 expires August 2025.